0: Hello, I'm Diana Green, the Bard of Hudson, and welcome to Season 2. More stories, more connections, more adventures. Happily divorced and parenting two amazing humans, I set out to discover why this life is worth living and what the heck I was meant to do with the time that was given to me. My hope is to remind you, inspire you, and connect with you here and in person. And to that end, please, please share, rate, and review wherever you're listening to the podcast, and join my Patreon. You can find me at patreon.com slash dianathebard. In the end, human connection is all we have. Enjoy! Hello, my friends. How are you? Is today a singing day? I don't know. Maybe it's a singing day. That's fun. Most days should be singing days. No, then we'd be in a musical and it would be weird. Anyway, I'm still kitty sitting and one of the kitties that I'm taking care of, he loves to play fetch. He's very silly. He brings me this funny toy that has a feather tail on it and he's like, he just wants to know if I'll throw it for him. He's trying to walk across the computer right now. No, no, down you go. While I'm here, I'm also writing a play, not what you would think, not what you would expect of me at all, because I was commissioned by our local Presbyterian church in Sneedon's Landing to write a play, short play for them, to be performed during the regular service. And so I was thinking what kind of story would they like and what time of year is it? So I proposed the Good Samaritan. And that was sort of before I really looked into it, and thought about it in a modern context. So we all know that story, right? It's, you know, the guy gets beaten up on the road, and a bunch of people pass him, and then finally this dude stops and bandages him up and takes him to an inn. Okay, seems pretty straightforward. But then you start looking, oh, commentary, you know, because the Bible, like the Torah, like the Quran has reams and reams of books of commentary on it and speculation as to meaning and different interpretations. So one interpretation is that the beaten man is Adam and the various other religions pass him by and then the Samaritan is Christ. and He picks him up and he takes him to an inn which is the church and entrusts him to the innkeeper which is Saint Paul. So that's an interesting, okay, maybe that could be true. But then what about in a modern context? I was trying to think, because the whole story hinges around Christ telling a story to a bunch of Jewish lawyers, because they asked in the second commandment, it says, love your neighbor as yourself, who is my neighbor? And so Christ was trying to make the case, everybody, everybody is your neighbor, all other people. So by pointing out that a Samaritan came and rescued this poor man was an interesting choice because the Jews apparently hated the Samaritans for desecrating their temple, and then they did it in return. So, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, but you didn't behave any better. So at the end of the story, Christ says, well, who was the neighbor? And the Jewish lawyer very much unhappily says, the one who showed mercy. He couldn't even say the Samaritan because he hated that word. So I was trying to think in modern context, who are the groups that are not tolerant of each other? And so I thought maybe the Samaritan has a red hat, shall we say, because here we are in a northern enclave of, you know, liberal Democrats. So who would be the person that we would least expect to be the one that we want to see doing the good deed, right? So it's an interesting thing to be wrestling with. And that's the present day. And I will take you back now to 2003 and try to finish up that year. I'm going to return to my journal entries of 2003. And in case you haven't heard the last few episodes, my lover Simon and I were found out by his wife a few months before this, and yet we continue to see each other, and they are trying to figure out what their relationship is going to be going forward. We don't know who's gonna end up together at this point. And we are at November 18th, 2003. Here's what I said then. Can I talk to him about sex? It has become an unapproachable subject. It can't be. Dare I presume to say I imagine what he's thinking? First of all, the idea that someone could resist for so long a person who they say they love and are attracted to, who is moreover throwing themselves at them, is unfathomable to me. I don't get it. In an attempt to get it, I imagine, one, he's paralyzed by the fear of what I will think of him as a lover, as a naked man. Two... He hasn't had positive feedback on his lovemaking in a while and has lost confidence. I don't know. Even so, the fact that I make myself so available all the time and get suppressed, rejected, and otherwise redirected all the time is really wearing away my own resolve and my own confidence. It's not that I wish we had plunged right in in the beginning, but now I think it's almost gone too far. I mean, I love that we have developed this amazing, deeper connection, but there's a big component missing, and I'm afraid that it keeps looming larger and that it will be somehow impossible to broach at some point. Sometimes I am completely obsessive about it. I wish that it could be just an easy, spontaneous, and obvious part of our relationship, as it would have to be if this relationship goes to the next level and becomes more permanent. Can't we just do it and get that first time out of the way? It will be whatever it is, not the be-all and end-all. I wonder what he imagines about me as a sexual being. I have mentioned that I have orgasms alone and pretty hot ones. Perhaps he gets a visual there. I don't know. I am a completely different body than the one he's used to, with many flaws, but I wonder if he senses that I'm at peace with them mostly. I wonder if I intimidate him. Does he imagine I have had a lot of lovers? Is 40 a lot? Has he had a lot of lovers? Or was he, like Dave, a virgin before his marriage? What about this other affair he had 20 years ago? Was it sexual? By the way, that hasn't come up yet, but the fact that he told me that he had done this once before during his marriage but I don't think I ever learned how that was resolved. Well, obviously he wasn't with her anymore, but what happened there? And obviously he chose his wife then. So that should have been a big heads up to me. Oh my goodness. There were so many heads up. (laughs) Anyway, does he talk about sex with the therapist? I have nothing but questions and no answers. Is this the kind of thing I can put into yet another crazy letter? Or would I be willing to pass up some delicious kissing on the couch to tackle this tough stuff? November 23rd. I am proud of myself. I was able to speak that speech more or less that way. Granted, it was over the phone, so I didn't say the take me in there and fuck me right now part. (laughs) But he got the point. And he agreed and he said, I'm almost there. I hope so. He knows I'm alone this week. I wish he felt more comfortable with the whole deception. Looking back on that sentence, I think that's a terrible thing to say. But that's what I wrote then. I should be careful what I wish for. That is the last sentence in that entry. December 3rd, 2003. And it happened. After coming home from Shakespeare and Company. He called me Monday morning and he said he missed me terribly quote, I will try and come by tonight. No, I will, end quote. So I lit the candles, and I had a glass of wine to calm my nerves. I was convinced that if he said he'd come by in an evening, then the time had come for us to consummate this long affair. Apparently, he had no such idea, but in the end, he had little choice. When he arrived, I kissed him so fervently. We were both wild with wanting He said, I haven't been the same since I warmed my hands on your back the other day. Do it again, I moaned, and put his hands on my stomach and then up to my breasts. He was breathing heavily by then, so I pulled my shirt off. He gulped and said, oh, sweetie, can you wait till Wednesday? I pulled it all the way off and pulled him close and kissed him wildly and said, can you? And then I whispered into his ears as I kissed him again. I want you so badly. I guess it was that which pushed him over the edge. Let's go, he said, and he motioned for me to lead the way to the bedroom. After all that, we didn't do it on our famous couch. We made love for a very short while. He wasn't able to come because he was too overwhelmed. But it was wonderful to have our bodies touched together. And to finally touch all of his skin and hear him moan like I've wanted to for so long. And then, December 21st, another letter not sent. I find myself wishing my life past. I don't live in the here and now. I live for some hazy imagined future. I should be enjoying my children's laughter, their smiles, their beautiful eyes full of love. I should be glorying in the successes of Richard the Third, and I do, but always in a fog of anticipation or an adult ache of pain and despair. You said I should say when it's too much, when I can't take it any more, every day, and then I keep going, and I last until the next time I see you. And then the thought of not doing so is impossible to entertain. So in the last few days, I've been trying to entertain it since you are gone and completely out of reach for the moment. I have tried to imagine that that is my reality. As fast as thoughts of you come up, I try to banish them rather than languish in them as I am wont to do. I think this has only been a bit more successful in the last two days since I have not been alone. From rehearsals to parties with lots of wine and shopping, it's been somewhat easier. But I guess that's not a real test. It's those long days of being alone that get me. I have found that I'm good at reasoning out why we should be apart. He needs space and time to work things out, I say to myself. If your issues with her really arose separately from anything to do with me, then you really need to work on them without the distraction of me. The other argument I make has to do with practicality. When you said you would like to have two hours to make love, and I said, when does that happen? It really struck me how insane this situation is. The times that we have spent two hours alone together can be counted on one hand for an entire year. If that is any indication of how much we'll get to make love in the next year, then we may as well go our own ways. Then I won't be waiting every week in vain, and you will have more space and less pressure. The new year went by, and here is January 2nd, 2004. He said in his letter he doesn't know how I do it. Well, I don't know how he does it. After a terrible New Year's Eve, long story, I was meeting with him this morning to tell him I thought I should back off, stop seeing him, and give him space to sort out his life. I did that. My guts were knots, but I did it. I said that I had been selfish every time it came to this crossroads, and I had clung to him because I couldn't bear to lose him, but this time I was going to let go. I was offering his freedom to think without distraction of me. He agreed. Okay, maybe for a little while, but not too long. And I still want to call you. And I still want to see you sometimes. Me. Okay, but I don't want you to feel obligated to do so. I don't want what I feel for you to be tainted with resentment and frustration, and I don't want you to feel like you're failing me. Okay, he said. So what did we agree to? Ah, clarity is everything. Well, it was a little confusing, but at least we said some important things. And then what does he do? Starts kissing me hard and hot and putting his hands up inside my clothes until we ended up naked on the floor of the sweatshop, making love on a pile of velvet. It was amazing, but completely not what was supposed to happen. It was so wonderful to see his body in daylight, though. It was delightful. He was beautiful and strong like a Da Vinci Hercules or something, a mythic hero. It makes me grin just to remember it. I hope I can get over my insecurities now. I made a good show of it during the lovemaking, but I did worry afterwards. Although during the act, when I was going down on him, I said, You need a pillow so you can see me. And then I climbed on top of him and said, It's me. Open your eyes. And he said, I know. It's just going to take me some time to get used to that. But it was better for him today, and he even remarked about it. And Now I can't wait to see if there's anything to say about this tomorrow. Elaine and I were giggling together like a couple of high school girls tonight at rehearsal. She laughingly said I should tell him every day that we can't see each other anymore and then he'll make love to me all the time. It's worth a try. January 26th. So here I am again, worrying. What will he choose? It's the question of the year. But this time I'm sure the time has come for decision. I told him that another friend revealed to me the other day that someone had said to her, yeah, that thing with Simon is so obvious. I wonder who said it. She was just telling me to be careful that things don't all blow up in my face. That's how I feel lately, that my whole life is coming down around my ears. So I told him we need to make a decision soon so that his family doesn't find out that everyone else is talking. That would be cruel. It's the crux now take the plunge, or walk away. And I've had the worst feeling all day. Dread. He didn't call all day until five thirty, and then he called from the office to say that he would call me tomorrow because we had some important things to talk about. It sounded very formal. That could be because he was at work, but it could also be something awful. It came to me as a physical sensation, right in the middle of playing with Zoe as I laid her down to give her a bottle. I felt this awful, gaping hole open up in the center of my chest. Dread. Either option is momentous, but this possibility that he could pull away and leave me alone again is like a black hole. I keep trying to tell myself that it's likely that he could choose that. It's safe for him. I would have to respect that. But I feel like it would leave me in a very bad place. My last chance at love gone by. So I wrote one more letter. I did have my cell on for a few hours this morning, but once the morning had passed with no word from you, I turned it off and conceded that I'm kidding myself. Maybe the shock of what you told me yesterday finally wore off and I was able to face reality. I couldn't quite believe that you hadn't told me about something that important, that essential to my state of mind sooner. So since you have promised not to see me, that's it then. We have nothing left. I have watched our relationship get whittled away bit by bit, and each time I told myself that I could live with less and less and fill in the gaps with hope. But this philosophy is eating me away inside especially now when the core of my being has been shattered. I have no fire left, no reason to hope. I'm in a very bad place and I need to get myself out of it. You have always told me that you can't do two things at once, so I'm finally going to honor that and take myself out of the mix. Concentrate on the most immediate situation. I hope you find peace and resolution. If that resolution makes room for me, then we can talk again later and see where we stand. At this point, I have no idea where you are with it, since you have not been able to communicate with me. So I'm going to stop wondering and stop waiting and try to heal my heart. I've had enough pain and cruelty. I want something closer to the fairy tale. Generosity and an open heart and no hiding. I'm worth it and someone will see that one day. I have treasured your friendship, and I thank you for listening through this latest fiasco. I will always love you, and if you need a friend, you know where to find me." So it was over because, well, one thing brought it to a crashing close, which was that in those two times that we had sexual encounters, I, communicated an STI to him that I had gotten from that pirate. Yeah, sloppy, only semi-protected sex. Not a great idea. Not a great idea. So that kind of threw him for a loop because it affected his primary relationship in that way. And that made the decision for him even though I had told him that I was going to entertain the idea of other lovers. He didn't really see it as a reality. He thought I was only there for him. So that was end and it broke off absolutely black and white. It was just one day we talked and the next day we didn't and we haven't since. And it's interesting because I used to see him around all the time and now I never see him ever even though we still live within a few minutes of each other. So it is a encapsulated memory that will remain in the past. That's it then. Oh, well, at least we'll move on. We'll move on to other things. Back to Match.com, back to OKCupid. Some very funny and strange episodes coming up soon. All right. Thanks for hanging in there with this one and more to come. I'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please reach out with your thoughts and your comments. You can find me on Instagram at Diana the Bard or Facebook at Diana Green or on my website, bardofhudson.com, where you can listen to the podcast directly from there or leave comments. I would love to hear from you. And please check out my Patreon page for photos and videos and extra goodies that I don't share anywhere else. And wherever you're listening, please subscribe, share, read, and review. It makes a huge difference and it helps other people to find the show. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Bye.